In just a few moments, I'm going to read to you a few verses from the last book of the Bible that give us a, a sense and a, and a vision of what's going on in heaven. But before I do that, what is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're waiting for? I can tell you it can be as simple as, I can't wait till the sun comes back out and it's not 42 and raining. But maybe it's something deeper than that for you. Maybe you're waiting to hear back on an application that you have made. Maybe you're waiting for your exams to be over. Maybe you're trying to get into a rhythm and waiting for that rhythm to kick off for this new year with school and work or family or whatever it is. I want you to know, we gather here to worship because Jesus is the only one that makes sense of reality. He is the only one that can bring us to God and help us to live for God in every part of our lives. Listen to this. See if you can get a glimpse of what's going on. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you would turn there, that would be great. The word should be in your bulletin and on the screen behind me. It's good to be back with you after a couple of weeks off. It's nice to be back worshiping with you and see your faces and uh, to be reunited again. Uh, as you can tell, we're not in Ephesians anymore, so we're going to a new book this year. So we're going to be spending a good amount of time this whole year in the Gospel of John. I think John Paul mentioned some of that to you last week, and I'll share with you a little bit more about that. Uh, but what I want to do first is read these verses. I'm going to read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And then I'm going to pray, and then we will get into looking at this passage together. Before I read this, I just want to remind you that what I'm about to read to you, this Bible that we have, the Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible gives to us the language of our heart. So if you've always thought of the Bible as some kind of rule book to follow and how to get God to do what you want to make your life look great, that's not what it's about at all. It's speaking to the deepest core of your being, and it's bringing us life. Hear this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord 
as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descending and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we thank you for giving us and not sparing your own Son that we might have life in him. And furthermore, Lord, we thank you for having the major events of his life recorded for us in these gospel accounts that we might follow the life of Jesus and think about what he said and did and think about what questions he answered and think about how he asked others questions and think about everything that he says in these accounts. Lord, work into us your truth. Change us. Make us more like him. We pray this, Holy Spirit, knowing knowing that unless you turn the light on in our minds and unless you open up our ears and unless you allow us to understand these things, it can't happen. So we're here. We believe. Help our unbelief. Make the good news of Jesus more precious to us. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. This year, we are going to be thinking about what John Paul said last week. We are going to be thinking about life with Jesus. This whole year, we're going to be thinking about that subject. And the reason why we pick this is in large part because of what John says. If you actually have a copy of the Bible, I would encourage you to hold your place in John 1, but turn all the way to the end of the book, John chapter 20 and verse 31. This is what John says. Around verse 30 of John chapter 20, John says, there are many other things that Jesus did. There are many other things that he said. But these things that I write to you, I write these things that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So John writes all these chapters, and at the very end, all these events and all these situations, at the very end, he says, this is why I'm giving you this book. This is why all these chapters are here. This is why the events are picked out that I picked out. This is why I'm teaching you what I'm teaching you, so that you might have 
life. That means if you go back and read through the Gospel of John, you shouldn't think of this Gospel account as like a fix-it manual. You shouldn't think of the Gospel account as uh, something just to, you know, help you along, be inspirational. He actually wrote about a subject that is far more daring. He actually wrote about an issue that is pretty much the issue of all issues, this idea of life. In other words, throughout this entire book, John is basically saying, you might not be thinking about life itself correctly. We might not be thinking about what life actually is correctly. But I've given you these accounts, I've given you these stories, so that you might have life in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you might truly live. In other words, to pick up on what John Paul was talking about last week as well, God is going to be challenging us to be defined by his word, God's word, not our own words. God wants us to be defined by him, that we are made in his image, that through Jesus and because of Jesus we are his children, that in essence we were made for God. Well, with that little background, that allows us to jump into this story of what we're looking at in these verses 19 through 34. And you notice around verse 29, you have this little phrase called the next day. So let's just start here. John is writing us about something that happened on two different days. So we're looking at two days in the life of John the Baptist. And you can probably tell just by hearing these verses read, 19 through 34, that these verses, 19 through 34, sound a little bit different than verses 1 through 18. If you were here last week, did you pick up on that? Like the first 18 verses, John is writing really short sentences that are profound and rich in their teaching. We could probably spend half a year just on the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. There's so much there that ties into the Old Testament and everything else. But you can tell there's a difference here in 19 through 34 than the first 18 verses. JP didn't talk at all last week about John the Baptist, and that was intentional because we're going to be talking about it today. And John, the Apostle John, the author of this book, gives us a unique account of John the Baptist. John the Apostle tells us things about John the Baptist that we wouldn't get by reading Matthew and Mark and Luke. The other accounts, when they talk about John the Baptist, kind of talk about John's diet and what he wore and like uh, 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 how earnest he was. Well, John's gospel actually gives us a little snippet at the end of John the Baptist's ministry, right during the time when the end of John the Baptist's ministry was overlapping with the teaching and ministry of Jesus Christ. So, as you can tell, verse 19, in understanding the story, there was a delegation that was sent to John the Baptist. If you look in verse 24, the Pharisees sent this little delegation of Levites and priests. These were just common workers. These were common workers in God's church. They were just going in order to understand more about John the Baptist. They were... uh, not trying to get John the Baptist in a trap. They didn't go to John the Baptist and say, uh, and ask particular questions because they were trying to figure out what he was going to say so they could take him to jail or persecute him in some way. Wasn't that at all? 
They genuinely had heard that what John was teaching was spreading. And people were really interested in what John the Baptist was teaching. And many people were being baptized. And they were also kind of following this man named Jesus who was starting his ministry. So they wanted to figure out, well, who is this John the Baptist? What is he doing? What is he about? Who, who is he? So this delegation goes to John, and they begin to ask him questions because they could tell that there was something different about him. They knew that his way of talking about God was not the normal spiritual way that people were talking about God. There was something different about John the Baptist and what he was teaching. There was something different about his teaching that wasn't just mainstream. It wasn't normal. So in verse 20 through 22, they go to John and they start asking him questions. And isn't it interesting that in asking John the Baptist these questions about who he is, that they ask these questions because they had some type of hope that something was happening or going to happen. They had some type of hope that someone was going to come. They were anticipating that the Messiah was supposed to come because they understood something of the Old Testament scriptures. So even in their questions to John the Baptist, those questions are full of anticipation. They're full of hope. Like, what, what are you? And we'll get into that in a minute. Because they're looking for something. They're looking for someone. That should immediately draw us into the text in which we can think about this. What are you waiting for? Every one of us, all of us, we're waiting for something. You are waiting for something today. You are longing for something today. Maybe you're waiting on a savior. Maybe you're waiting on someone to make sense of your life and to, to pull you out of the mundane or the, the rut that you're in. Maybe you just feel overwhelmed with things that are going on in your life and you just want to be free from all of that. What are you longing for? Maybe you're waiting for the best version of yourself and you hope that 2019 will be the best version of yourself. And if you can just be the best version of yourself, and everything else will fall into place. Or maybe you're waiting on some type of political savior, hoping that the right guy will get in place and then that everything will be fixed and all the madness will be stopped. Maybe you're just longing for or waiting for a break. As you think back over your career, do you ever remember those times where you just, you just knew you needed a break? You know, I don't mean a break in terms of a vacation or a stop from your job, but you know, a break or something unexpected actually goes your way. Maybe you're just waiting for a break, something that you weren't expecting to push you forward in your career. I don't know, but all of us are waiting for something. All of us are longing for something. And this little delegation comes to John the Baptist and they say, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Now in their minds, they were thinking, when the Messiah comes, he will free us politically. When the Messiah comes, he will overthrow those who are oppressing us, and he will care for us, and he will set us free. They knew that in the Old Testament, the Messiah was going to be king, and they over-exaggerated that and thought, well, when the king comes, he is going to have our agenda and overthrow all of our oppressors. 
And then they say, well, are you Elijah? Because you see, in their mind, they knew the stories of Elijah, that he was something of a miracle worker, that amazing things happened when Elijah was on the earth. So they're saying, are you Elijah? Are you the one that's going to make amazing things happen? Are you the miracle worker? John the Baptist, if if you'll entertain those questions about the Messiah and, and Elijah, well, are you just the prophet? Are you the guru? Are you the one who's to come to have captivating teaching? Where your teaching will be so profound that you actually will give people words to live by? You see, when they asked John the Baptist these questions, even we can make it more particular, When they say to John the Baptist, are you the Christ? It's similar to them asking John the Baptist, are you Amazon? (laughs) Like, are are you gonna bring us what we need like next day? Can we just one click on you? Like, are you the one that's gonna solve all of our shopping problems and getting into the mess of everything? Are you Amazon? When they ask, are you Elijah? They're basically saying, Are you Jeff Bezos, the guy that made Amazon and had that idea? Like, are you this amazing miracle worker that took this idea and then put it into practice? When they say, are you the prophet, it fascinates me that they don't even specify any particular prophet. They just want to know if he is supposed to be someone that is going to delegate words to live by. And I think about how much that parallels our own time. Because you can't just pick one of these guys, right? You can't just pick one of these people. You can't just pick one person that has these types of teaching that gives us words to live by because there are too many. And besides all that, all of us, we all have our own pet voices that we like to listen to. We all have our own small subset of voices that speak into our lives, and when they speak, we own it. And we think, this is what I need to live by. We all have our own personal prophets. They're just asking, John the Baptist, are, are you going to be ours? Are you going to be the one that shapes how we think? Are you going to be that voice? Well, that's basically the story. So I want to give you the point. This is the point of this passage. This is the point of the message. This is what I want you to take away. This is the big takeaway. Life with Jesus means that our lives have a clear purpose and trajectory. Life with Jesus, that's what we're looking at this year. Life with Jesus in this passage, in these verses, means that our lives have a clear purpose and trajectory. That's the point. And the clear point and trajectory of our lives is to point to Jesus. That's the point. That's what this passage is about. Now, there are two components for our lives to point to Jesus. That's where if you're following your bulletin, you got those takeaways. There are two takeaways, and those takeaways are the two components by which we point to Jesus in our lives. So here's the first one. Actually, before I say that, I just want to make this throwaway comment because this stood out to me. In thinking about this passage and reading through this passage, that little phrase that I started off with in verse 29, the next day, 
So when I put this section together, verses 19 through 34, and started thinking about what they're saying, it brought me great comfort to think about that the Apostle John, in writing this, decided to show us how we're supposed to point to Jesus. And what he did is he took something from John the Baptist's life one day and something from John the Baptist's life the next day and put them together. As if to say, Dave, you're not going to do all this all the time. John, the apostle that wrote this, had to take this from John's life on this day and this from John's life on this day as if to say, yeah, you need them both. But there are going to be times when you do one more than the other. But we got to have both. That brought me great comfort. It's not as though he said, look how perfect John the Baptist was on this one day. Because he's not the point anyway. So here's the first component. We need to know what we are not. If we're going to point to Jesus in everything, we need to know what we are not. John the Baptist was so profoundly convinced of what he was not. All those questions that the delegation asked John, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? What did he say each time? What did he say? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Savior. I'm not a miracle worker. I am not the prophet. I don't have words that are going to form and shape people and affect the vast majority of their lives. That's not me at all. John knew what he was not. We have to know what we are not. And what that means is that in our lives, we can't do whatever we want. There are limits on our lives. I can't be whatever I want. I would love to be, especially when I was younger, a professional tennis player. That couldn't happen. I can't do it. There may be things that you wanted to be in your life that you can't. We can't be whatever we want. We can't even just be happy. Have you ever thought about the significance of the weight that you're putting on yourself if you're thinking, I can just live my life to make myself happy? We can't even do that. Now, we might envision how that might happen, but making that happen? Absolutely, utterly impossible. We cannot do whatever we want. We can't even be whoever we want. And oftentimes, we put all these burdens on us because we think that we have the best idea of what we should be, and we're so focused on living that life rather than what God wants. Do you know what you are not? Are there areas of your life and of my life in which we're living as if we're the Savior? Can have those struggles as a parent to a child? Can have those challenges at work? Do you see yourself as a miracle worker? Do you want others to see you as a miracle worker? As if you're the one that can fix everything? Maybe the challenge is more. Do you just want to say something profound to Give, some, to give to other people so that they can live by. John knew what he was not. And it goes even further. Look at verse 27. When they start asking him about, well, if you're not this person, then why are you baptizing? And, and why are you doing these things? And he's like, look, everything that I'm doing is just pointing to the coming of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm not even worthy 
to stoop down and adjust the straps on Jesus' chacos and put them in the way they should be. I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to get down and to adjust his sandals. That's not me. I am so unworthy. John the Baptist had this deep and abiding sense that he was not worthy. And let's be very clear about what this means. Especially if you're here and you're thinking about Christianity and exploring what in the world does that mean? That a follower of Jesus would say that he's not worthy? What does that mean? Well, this is what it does not mean. When John the Baptist says, I am not worthy, he is not saying, I hate myself. John the Baptist is not saying, I'm not worthy, and that means I actually hate myself and uh, nobody likes me. I'm not worthy of any love or affection or relationship. That's not what he is saying. It's not what it means to be a follower of Christ, to say, I'm not worthy, and that means I hate myself and nobody likes me. This is what it does mean. It means that John the Baptist is declaring, and what happens in us when the work of Jesus begins to take root and it begins to cause us to mature and continues to go deeper and deeper in our lives, it means I am breaking free from self-focus. It means I am breaking free from self-focus. It means I distrust myself. So I need others in my life. I can't live my life as if I'm a guru and everybody just comes to me and says, what do you want to know? And I answer. I can't live my life as if I'm the miracle worker and I just go and touch and do whatever I want and everything I touch turns to gold. I can't live my life as if I'm the savior and I can go in and actually fix people and I can be everything for my spouse or my children or my employer or my neighbor. I can't do that. And by God's grace, I'm learning to distrust myself and I'm learning that I need other people in my life. I'm learning that I need others to speak into my life because if I think of myself as a savior or miracle worker or the answer guy, all I'm doing is just setting myself up so that others come to me and they need me but I don't need others. It means that he is learning not to focus on self. It means that as he lives his life, as we live our lives, we are not thinking about, well, what am I going to get out of this situation? What's in it for me in everything that we do? It means that I'm growing in my awareness of how self-centered I am, how self-centered I can be. It means that I can live my life if I know who I'm not and I know what I am not. It means I can even be skeptical about my own motives. And this is so hard to take in, isn't it? It's so hard to take in because it's even harder to live out of this because everything around us is built upon accomplishment and prestige. It's hard to live a life in which we are growing in the sense of being more and more aware of our self-centeredness because every message around us is like, no, you need to think more highly of yourself. The message we hear all the time is the opposite of what John is saying. It's the opposite of what God is saying. Because oftentimes what we're told is that the primary problem in our lives is that we just don't love ourselves enough. 
or that we need to have more confidence in self. But let me tell you, this posture that the gospel brings in our lives of knowing what we're not, that posture is compelling. Helps us relate to other people. Helps us live in such a way that other people know that we don't hate ourselves, but we're not banking on ourselves either. The second ingredient that we see in these verses is not only do we need to know what we are not, but we need to know who Jesus is. That's what John is declaring. Look at verse 29. He makes this amazing declaration. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's declaration there is full of Old Testament imagery and significance. John is declaring for us and anyone that will hear that Jesus, the one, the God-man who came in the flesh, he came as a substitute for us. He came as a substitute in our place in order to bring us to God. That means that Jesus as the Lamb of God is the one who has come to deal with the deep stuff within. He has come to deal with our sin. He has come to deal with our self-centeredness. He has come to deal with the reality that we think that either we are the Savior or we are the miracle worker or we are the prophet. He has come to convince us that we actually are none of those. He has actually come to convince us of all of our Savior complexes. He has come to show us what true life is. He has come to show us what true mission is and therefore the mission of our lives and what true identity is and where our identity resides, not in ourselves, but in him. That means that we would be able to, if we have Jesus as the Lamb of God in our lives, it means that we will grow in our ability to say, I'm not the Savior, I'm not the miracle worker, I'm not the prophet. We can do so knowing, I don't hate myself, but I'm not banking on myself either. I'm banking on Jesus and who he is for me and what he says about my life and how I ought to live. John already acts as if Jesus has done all these things. Isn't that striking? Here he is, he sees Jesus coming up the road and he says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's acting as if Jesus has already done this. He's acting as if the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension are done. That's how clearly John saw Jesus. And oh, by the way, he didn't always see Jesus that clearly. There are many times that he struggled and doubted but he knew that Jesus was the Christ. What image of Jesus, what description of Jesus do you live by? If you're thinking about what are you longing for, what are you waiting for? If you think about where are the areas in which you act as if you're the savior or the miracle worker or the prophet, think about this too. What description of Jesus do you live by? And if you don't know, Sit down, take some time, and think about how you relate to other people. Because how you relate to other people is a reflection 
of how you think God relates to you. So if you relate to people primarily through rules and they have to follow certain things and meet certain expectations in order for them to be worthy of your presence and and worthy of who you are, it's probably the way that you view God. If you're wondering, I don't know who Jesus is. I'm not even sure if he was real. Well, that affects everything about your life. If you feel like Jesus is just a rule maker, if you feel like Jesus and the description of Jesus that governs the way you live is just that he's a forgiver, then you might not be walking in the way that he wants you to walk because he's forgiver, but he's more. He gives power to live. Do you think of Jesus as just useful? Well, I just go to him when I get down. By the way, please go to Jesus when you get down. And when I get down, point me to Jesus. Always go to Jesus. This is really just, do you only go to him when you're down? The image that God wants us to embrace more deeply, the description that God wants us to live by more deeply is this image, that Jesus is the lamb. You know how much... When you become convicted of something and realize that there's something in your life that isn't right, you know what it's like to experience that? And it feels like a weight on you, doesn't it? The weight of not measuring up, not being who you should be. This statement of John astonishes me because it's as if he sees the Savior and he says, every burden that I could possibly carry is now put on Christ. He's the savior of the world. He's taking away the sins of the world. That is an enormous burden. It's as if John is saying, all of my burdens and shame and guilt, I I see them on Jesus. And God's saying, does that description govern the way you live every day too? That you can put all of your burdens on him? Your guilt and your shame, my guilt and my shame, because he can take it, because he dealt with it, because he will forgive me, because he will change me. We ought to see Jesus as the Lamb of God. This is why at the end of the book, the apostle tells us that there is life in his name. There's life in his name. Have you ever thought about that? John says, I've written to you these things that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. You ever thought about that little phrase, in his name? You ever thought about how much names communicate something? You know, maybe at the start of the year, you're thinking about names like Mac Brown, maybe Nick Saban. Those names communicate something, right? Well, for those of you that don't care about sports, let me give you another name. There's another name that means a lot to me. His name is Dr. Stewart. Dr. Stewart was the man that operated on my dad when my dad got a heart transplant. There's power in these names. Let me tell you what I know about Dr. Stewart. He operated on the President of the United States. And when I found out that he was taking my dad's case and that he was going to be the one to 
do the transplant for my dad, there was a tremendous amount of comfort that I felt. Not because I ever met the man, not because I ever had a meal with him, but because of what his name signified. When we hear names, we think about skill set and competency and even experience and depth of wisdom and life experience. It means that as you watch them and observe them, you pick up on things about them, the way they talk, the way they think, what they say. And it means that when you find something like this, your mind can actually be at rest with their decisions. It means that your heart can actually trust their skills. It means that when you hear these names, whether it's Mac Brown or whoever you want to say or Dr. Stewart, whoever it is in your life, it means that your heart can trust as well. It means that you can trust their experience. It means when, when particular to, for my dad, when, when, when he's in the operating room and basically dead, and something unexpected happens, it goes haywire, I trust the skills of this man to be attentive enough and have enough experience and enough skills to address that need in that moment, right? That's the way I was thinking about it anyway, because I knew I couldn't do anything sitting out in the, in the waiting room. I knew who this man was, and I knew what others thought of him. I could trust my dad's entire future with this man. And you see, John, the apostle, is saying about Jesus, the Lamb of God, this is the gospel for you and me. That Jesus' skill set is unparalleled. His experience is unfathomable. He can endure whatever you throw at him and whatever can happen. You can trust him. That's what John is declaring. That's what he's trying to get us to see. Is that life with Jesus means that our trajectory and purpose in life are very clear. Point to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you even would expose in our lives where we act or think as if we are the Savior, we're you. We act as if we are the one who can do miracles. We're the one who can change people's lives by our thoughts and how we express them in words. We thank you for giving us your gospel of truth, that you, Jesus, are the Savior, that you are the miracle worker, and that your words shape our lives. So create in us a deeper sense of longing for you. Work in us so that we more quickly say, I'm not a savior. I'm not a miracle worker. I'm not a prophet. Make us this week to point in every way we can to you for your glory. Amen. The death and resurrection of Jesus means something for us every moment of our lives. So receive this blessing because it is upon you as his people. The Lord your God is going to bless you and he is also going to keep you. This week his smile is upon you and he will be gracious to you.
He will. In the age to come, forever and ever, even now, his presence is with you. And he will make you whole. He will bring shalom. All because of Christ. Amen.